welcome to another episode of the Word on the Street podcast. This is a podcast hosted by both the Office for Multicultural Learning as well as the Rainbow Resource Center. And today's podcast episode is in celebration of Men Heritage Month. And we are here um, honored with the presence of some board member members from our very own um, MCC's MENA. And again, just so for those of you who don't know, MENA stands for Middle Eastern North African. So again, my name, just to start off with introductions, my name is Jacqueline Ibarra-Garcia. I'm a fourth year marketing major and business analytics minor. My pronouns are she, her, hers. And again, I am not um, affiliated to the MENA heritage, but I do identify as Latinx. And I'll pass it over to my co-host and colleague, Gabby. Hi, everyone. Uh, so my name is Gabby Loschutz. My pronouns are she, her, hers. And I'm another student inclusion educator, along with Jackie for the OML. Um, I'm a fourth year economics and international business student. And I also don't have ties to the MENA heritage. Uh, so we're really here to just facilitate this conversation between these awesome student leaders. Awesome. Thank you, Jackie and Gabby, for having us. Uh, my name is Vanessa Meddy. Um, I, my pronouns are she, her, hers. I am a third year ma double majoring in political science and religious studies. I am one of the two co-chairs um, in MENA and uh, my ties to the MENA heritage. Uh, my family is from Iraq, so uh, I belong to a small minority group called Chaldeans um, in what is the northern part of Iraq. Hi, my name is Michael Bachon. My pronouns are he, him. I am a senior mechanical engineering major. Uh, I am the events coordinator in MENA, and I'm a Palestinian American second generation. Uh, hi, everyone. My name is Iman Hasemiye. Uh, my pronouns are he, him. Uh, I am a third year studying philosophy and environmental studies. I am the social media chair slash technology chair for MENA this year. Uh, and I am Iranian. So that's where my connection to the MENA region is. I'm so happy to be here. Thank you. No, we're Thanks, Simon. Yeah, we're happy to have all y'all here. Hey guys, I'm Jacob Shamia. I am a senior finance and real estate major. I am currently the co-president or co-chair with Vanessa Medi. And I identify with the Palestinian background. I'm a first-generation Palestinian-American. Thanks again, guys, for having us. Yeah, again, thank you all so much. And is that everyone? Just want to make sure I'm not um, missing anyone. Yes, I think we're good. Awesome. Perfect. So now just to start off the conversation, I know y'all recently celebrated your culture show. Um, so that's really exciting to see, especially with such a young organization. So I guess starting the conversation on a rather light note, um, I just wanted to know a little bit more about what traditions or aspects of your culture do you think have shaped you all individually, um, I guess, individually and shaped you the most as a person? And anyone can go off, there's no particular order to answer these. I guess I can jump right in. Um, I think one thing that has been a huge aspect or contributing factor to at least my cultural development here, kind of growing up in America, has been the hospitality as well as the uh, respect that I kind of take from 
the amount of culture. I think it's a huge part that uh, is a little different, at least in this kind of individualistic country. So it's a, it's a part that I love to hold on to me. I love to uh, identify with because at home, I kind of see a whole different world than I do outside. And that's something that really resonates with me. Yeah, I think from what Jacob was saying, um, like something that came to my mind is just uh, the, like for one thing, the food of like the MENA region is just amazing. Uh, and usually a lot of people from the MENA region will um, hold high importance to like the value of family. And I think those two um, are tied very closely together, at least for me, just because I remember growing up a lot of um, time spent with my mom, my aunts, my uncles, or just my grandparents, uh, specifically like both my grandmas, is just being in the kitchen and learning how to cook these foods or like these special cookies, like every year for Christmas, um, we'll make what's called kuleche. And it's just really fun to um, be able to live through the same traditions that they lived through back home, even though I didn't kind of get to live in that environment, like carrying those traditions still tie me back to the same roots that they have there. So. Yeah, uh, echoing what's been said and then kind of building off that, I remember last year when I was, or I guess two years ago when I was conducting interviews for our what was going to be our culture show that was canceled because of COVID, our first culture show. Um, I asked I asked most, if not all, the club members a, a couple of questions, one of them being, if you could describe men in three words, what would it be? Um, and most, if not everyone, said family as either their first or second word. Uh, and that really, um, that really resonated with me because, I mean, I, I agree. I think that family and, and, and how that embodies who we are and where we come from. And, and that's, you know, that, that's through facets of like food, dance, sharing stories, poems, um, our religious traditions that are, that are very deeply ingrained in our sociopolitical uh, status. Um, yeah, all kind of help us develop a narrative even though we are physically removed from the places that our, our parents came from or we came from uh, they, that, that essence of family continues to remain. And it's brought us really, really close. I think as a club, I, uh, I, I get the sense and people tell me all the time that every time they, they walk into a meeting or, or in person, this, this was, this, this was true that they immediately felt, just welcomed and, and comfortable sharing and, and it was a safe space that that we will continue to develop <laughs> once yeah. we go back in person yeah for sure yeah I remember when I first came to MENA I wasn't really aware I was kind of ignorant to the, the Palestinian Christian American point of view and when I first walked into a MENA meeting I've noticed that there's so many people from so many different other men of countries and different backgrounds, religions. Yet the one thing that we all had in similar was like the same three, like three or four values, like family was the big one, food and like music and a few other things are just like super, super strong in our culture. And it all brought us all together. It's so interesting to, to see like the different responses that you have, because in so many ways, like, I'm sure, you know, this isn't that hard to believe, but like how much it even relates to like, um, my own culture, like, again, I'm not, I don't identify like as part of the Mena community, but like I am Latinx. And like, just hearing the way that like Vanessa described how, you know, how she would have her own role in the kitchen and helping her family cook. It's like, it, 
reflects so much on like my own experiences. And I think it's so interesting to see how, I guess, in so many ways, like even, you know, across cultures that, again, are across the ocean, there are still so many similarities. And I think that's not that crazy to see, because I think overall, yes, we do have these different cultures, but we are, you know, our parents are immigrants, our our grandparents are immigrants. And there's at the end of the day, just Mm going to be so many things still that that connect Mm -hmm. us and so many different ways that we have shared experiences. Cool. So thanks. I think that was a really great opener. And I'm so glad that um, you all were able to share a little bit already. So Gabby, do you want to take it away to the to the next question that we have? Yeah, absolutely. Um, it, yeah, first of all, it's very cool to hear how tight-knit of a community you guys have built here at SCU. Um, I think that speaks volumes, as you said, like to the shared values that you all have and how that really brings you together to create this uh, respect and acknowledgement of the history and of the cultures, cultural traditions that you might share. Um, our next question is about perceptions from other communities possibly. So what are some common misconceptions that people outside of the Maya community might make about your culture that you'd want to put an end to? Um, well, I can start. I think that there's one glaringly obvious one, uh, which is terrorist. Um, and, and I think that this, this misconception that the global community has around us is a unfortunate one caused by Islamophobic backed marketing campaigns and legislation and, uh, all, all direct and very intentional, um, strategies that were employed by, uh, people in power in Western countries, specifically Britain and the U S. Um, and these, this narrative of like us being a very hostile people coming from a very, uh, a war-torn region is it, it's laughable it's it's really funny um especially in light of statistics that show whatever regardless um it, yeah that it's just always the first one that comes to mind and it's it's contra- it's so contradictory to to who we are i i when i think of when i think of who we are it, it, i again i i get images of family and community and and sharing and loving of both our social environment and our physical environment. Um, we, our region spawned Christianity, Judaism, and Islam, um, three very peaceful religions that, you know, to some degree have been misconstrued, et cetera, et cetera. But yeah, when it, when it, when it, when, when it all boils down, like we, <laughs> we're just, we're just here trying to love each other and everyone else. And, and, and that's really hard to do in a society that continues to reject us with, with, uh, you know, things like the Muslim ban of the, of the Trump administration and the Bush, in the Bush administration, we have special registration. Um, and I, you know, I can get into more detail later, but yeah, there are just policies that, that are very against us. So I think to echo that, um, like a lot of these policies that are, again, um, rooted in Islamophobic attitudes towards like the region and the people of that region, there is that common uh, misconception that everyone from that region is um, Muslim, which is also something that uh, doesn't encompass uh, like the many different groups of people that belong or come from the MENA region. Like they're like Iman was saying, 
Um, there are Jewish, there are Christians, there are many um, minority groups as well, like Druze and uh, a lot of other religions that kind of come from the, re uh, the region itself. Um, and that also kind of ties into like the language as well. Um, and there is that common misconception that everybody in the region speaks Arabic, um, which is not true in uh, a lot of cases, actually. Um, uh, Iman, I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit, but like uh, Iman is from Iran and Iranians don't actually speak Arabic, but it still falls within the MENA region. And so that's a common misconception that a lot of people think and um, like to pinpoint. Some other ones I've noticed that some people may view. Some of them are true to an extent, but um, I guess some people think that like many Middle Eastern, North African people are loud, smell like cologne, rich, like very old fashioned, um, traditional, very conservative, disrespectful, disrespectful towards women. But like, uh, I feel like a lot of that is based on like old fashioned culture. And while some of that is true to an extent, that doesn't represent the people at large. Yeah, it's so, it's crazy to see like, you would think that after so many years and like there's, you would think that like there's so much progress being made in like being more welcoming of like those who are not, you know, from the US or like born in the US who, those who are not white, middle class or up. But it's so clear that in many ways we have not progressed as a society. And in some ways we've even taken a step or two back. Um, and it's really obviously, again, you know, just even just looking at this past year, it's really clear to see that we still have a ton of work to do, to say the least. Um, so thank you for bringing up those those misconceptions up to mind that, you know, honestly, some people might, might not even know were stereotypes that people had about um, the MENA community. So now we already talked about the way that you know, in this, for the context of this conversation, I'm going to call them outsiders, just those who are not associated or not um, within the MENA community. But we talked about how outsiders might view the MENA community and have those misconceptions and have those, those stereotypes. But now I wanted to talk a little bit more about um, internally, like, are there, you know, there are many countries represented under the umbrella that is MENA. So what do the countries represented here feel about one another? You know, are there stereotypes that a person from one country within MENA might feel about someone else? Because at, at least knowing within the Latinx community, there's a ton of stereotypes or, or these tensions. So I just wanted to know if yeah. that's relevant here as well. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to jump in really quick and then I am going to head off. So thank you guys again for having me. I'm going to say my piece. Uh, so I, I recently finished a uh, philosophy of race class and my final paper for the class was talking about the racialized experience of the Meta community in like of the diaspora in America uh, and kind of one of the, so when you, when you see oppression as different axes of oppression, and you see this as like, there's an axis of like anti-Islamic oppression. And then there's like a, uh, an anti-female oppression. And there's like an anti-black oppression. So kind of all these axes of oppression that fall. So within the Menic community, there is unfortunately uh, this, a lot of sentiments of anti-blackness that are echoed in, 
in, in a lot of our communities, and this is an unfortunate reality, we see uh, a lot of a lot of immigrants from the MENA region coming and setting up basically liquor stores in Black and, and uh, margin, other marginalized communities uh, because they know that there's profit there. And uh, white supremacy basically like continues to profit and establishes domination off of this sense of anti-Blackness even within this community. And it's such a, it's such an interesting contradiction because like in, in a religion like Islam, some of the first practitioners of Islam were, were black. And so, uh, it's, it's really a shame. And, uh, to see, you know, our, our fathers and uncles and, and, you know, echoing these anti-black sentiments when they're also being oppressed by, you know, they're also being oppressed by, by the, by this racist attitude. So it's just the general anti-whiteness that we continue to perpetuate and it's, it's unfortunate, but it, but it is a reality. And, and one more example that I'll point to is in the case of George Floyd, which actually today we, we got a, we got a verdict. He, the, the, the police officer was guilty. That is awesome. Um, anyway, so George Floyd was actually, uh, the, the store that he was allegedly using counterfeit bills at was a Palestinian owned store. And so that was something that I found in my research that it blew me away, but, but it echoes sentiments across the community and definitely something that, that needs to be addressed by, by conversations like these. So I'm going to head off guys. Thank you so much. Um, this has been a treat. I wish I could stay for longer, but all right, have a good day. Take care. Thank Come you on. so much for stopping by. Bye. All right, does anyone else want to continue with the with maybe their response to this question? If not, we can move on. Yeah, I guess one other thought I had, final thought, that kind of sparked when Imam was speaking was that we have to start, um, like, yeah, there are a lot of external biases and misconceptions, but we have to start from within our own community before we start looking outwards. I think, yeah, that sums it up perfectly, you know. Um, it's sometimes hard to look at those problems that hit so close to home, but that's where the real life transformation begins, I think so. Um, so for our next question, I, we wanted to get your perspective on if you all have family or friends or know anybody who was born um, outside of the U.S. or in your home country, maybe. How, what are the perceptions like of the U.S. from people who haven't lived here? Um, do you feel like there are judgment towards some people in the community who were born and raised here? And what are your experiences with that? Being a second generation um, Mena American, I definitely have seen like the conversations that have carried from like at least the adult room to the kids room. Uh, I can say from like when we were younger. And I just, I remember that so much of the conversations that at least I remember my parents having is that there was so much rhetoric of um, like this story or this life that they lived back home. And although that they lived in impoverished communities and that they didn't really have much money, life uh, was just described as so much more meaningful than here um, in the U.S., uh, as they compared like both lifestyles. And whenever I remember my mother speaking about it, she'd always just say like, there was no fear. Um, uh, like she could walk out in the street and the whole neighborhood would know that like, 
she belonged to that house and this family and this man was her father and that person was her mother. And so if she ever needed anything, like she had no fear of walking outside at night um, or coming back home at night. Whereas like here, there's so much fear and there's so much um, like thought being put into like the safety of children and uh, where money is coming from and how food would be put on the table. And of course the same things were also thought of back then um, or like in our hometowns or home countries uh, by our parents, but at least they would always say we were poor, but happy. And so here they kind of come and reflect. And then it's almost as if here we have money, we're making money, yet we're not actually living life. And so that to me is like something um, super eye-opening as someone who's never been there and just hearing stories. It's like, it's almost as if that's a life that I want to live. Like, even if I didn't have much money, I'd love to be able to live life as they say. Yeah, it's like, <laughs> it's so because again, my parents, um, I feel like I relate in a lot of ways, my parents were born in Mexico, and then migrated here. And it's so sad to see that, like, you know, the whole American dream and like the idea of making money and like, they think that like life really begins here. But like, you're explaining like, once you do m- earn more money here, it's like you s- you're so busy earning it. Like you don't really enjoy it, you know, because that is your life here. Like your life, I'm sure, you know, this, your parents or grandparents might relate to this, but like in a lot of ways, like all they know to do is work and like life is nothing. Exactly. Yeah. And it's, it's so, it sucks because like when you compare it to like, maybe, you know, your cousins or someone that might be living back in your home country it's like, in some ways, obviously, there, you know, there's a reason that like our parents migrated here, there are systemic issues in our home countries that obviously, you know, cannot be overshadowed. But like, at the Mm -hmm. core of like, what they they are, like the innocence of what our home countries are, it's just like, the ability, like what you're saying, just being able to like, walk down the street, go to like the little corner store, knowing every single person there. It's like, we'll never in many ways, like we'll never be able to experience that. Like, yes, we do have privileges here, but those are like the types of things that like, I, at least for me, I feel in a way disconnected from my own culture. Um, and exactly. Yeah. yeah. It's just like those experiences, not, and, and not so much just like feeling more disconnected because like my Spanish isn't as great as if, you know, as like comparing it to like my cousins who live in Mexico but it's like those experiences that we just never really got accustomed to by living in the United States. I mean, not to cut you off, but like, that's also another issue that comes up, especially with like part of your family still living back home. And then the other part being here in America, it's like, that's always like a topic of discussion of, okay, when you come home, it's like, yeah, you're seen as like the middle Eastern or North African individual. Mm -hmm. And then when you're home, you're seen as like the American. So again, that also brings up like that identity um, crossroad that you're like, okay, so then I'm on this crossroad. I just don't know where exactly. Yeah, like, exactly. Like you go home and like, you're the white girl or you're the white boy. Exactly. Yeah. You're the one that like, everyone like, makes fun of and like, because oh she's the spoiled like the rich girl even though like we know that that's not that's not really as accurate of a representation of our (laughs) lives but yeah you compare it you know you can't really I guess say much in in some ways but yeah thanks for for your reflection on that one I just wanted to now I guess transition it a little bit more to 
to Mena as like the RSO and Mena and how you're you're living in the SCU community um, because obviously Mena is I believe correct me if I'm wrong but it is the newest RSO in the MCC or is it an RSO technically is it considered an RSO or is like the yes. SCC the R RSO I never under well, I forget. <laughs> The club. But I should know this. I'm in a I should know this as like an ASG senator. Um, <laughs> I believe like uh, the MCC is like the CSO and MENA is the R. Yeah, MENA okay. is the RSO. Yeah, all right. I think, yeah, that's jogging my memory. So yeah, I know MENA is, is like the baby of MCC now. You're you're the- One um, of many. <laughs> yeah, one of many. Um, so I just wanted to know a little bit more about what it's like since, you know, MENA has been founded and in what ways- have you felt a lot of support from the community, but in, and as well, in what ways do you feel like you have not been supported enough? And this could be like within just the context within MCC or within the greater SCU community. It's really been hard to tell throughout the past year, given the biggest event that we were supposed to have, the culture show in person was canceled like that was supposed to be the week after or a month after the first COVID shutdown happened. But given the turnout from our virtual culture show, I believe that any in-person one would reflect that to a much greater extent. But I remember I came to men in my sophomore year, both Jacob and Vanessa's freshman year. And it was in a tiny little room in Kenna with a couple people just to hang out. And then our former leaders kind of transitioned into a more official RSO. And then the next year we were in the MCC for our meetings, the official like MCC. And then there are new faces every single day. I'm like, wow, like people are actually coming. And then I just hope that after, I'm sure that after COVID and everything's over, there's going to be a, like a fresh start, a bunch of new fresh faces coming in keeping the club and the motivation, keeping it rolling. I would also have to agree with that, honestly. Good way of putting that, Michael. Also, being, you know, affiliated with the MCC as well as being an RSO allows you to kind of share experiences with other RSOs who started off new and kind of learn from them and see what processes they went through and uh, try to implement them into our own club as a form of growing and just getting a better established base. So that way, you know, we can hit the ground running faster. And it's been, it's proved to be a huge uh, positive. It's had a huge positive effect on our club for sure. You know, being able to commute, communicate with different clubs. Yeah. When I was first introduced to MENA, um, I had picked up the position of being like a first year rep. Um, and from that, that the first year representatives essentially were also like another group um, under like the MCC uh, board that they had and so learning a lot about what growing uh, meant for MENA and then seeing that kind of happen and put the steps in motion was super helpful um, through the position and through like the conversations that we were having within the MCC just because everyone was always super supportive and they always made sure to like highlight those achievements and also make sure that if anyone did need something 
I remember many of our conversations with how to start was just reaching out to other clubs that had already um, such a strong foundation and just having them share kind of what they did or what the things that they, they do and to see how to implement that and how we've been able to uh, grow and build thus far has been really helpful. Uh, it's so cool to see even over the last four years that I've been at Santa Clara, how much MENA has really like increased its reach on this campus and been able to achieve such great things like with the culture show, doing it virtually. I mean, that's no small feat. And it's just really great to hear that you guys think it went really well. Um, yeah, so in over the course of your growth um, with MENA, we were wondering, do you feel like with being the only RSO on campus that does represent this heritage, that there are more pressures you experience that other groups might not? Or what challenges, I guess, has MENA specifically faced? Sorry, uh, there might be a truck I moved outside, but I think one thing I've noticed is that there is so many different cultures and heritages within the MENA itself. And like we're always include the Middle Eastern, like an Arabic version of things and the Persian version of things. Like when you say Middle Eastern, it's always North African as well tied to that now because we're, we encompass the whole entire region, which is, I believe, 22 countries. And obviously, Jacob, Vanessa, or I, or no one else is well-versed on every single country. So we rely on a bunch of our general members to give us information and like t- talk to us about their personal culture and their lives and experiences because we're all learning each other's cultures in this how broad it is, I think it's one of the biggest challenges. Michael, I think you hit that on the nail. Um, Like, just because as Michael was saying, um, the MENA region consists of just so many countries and each of those countries, like for one thing, they all speak, like even the countries that speak Arabic have different dialects. So now if Jacob or Michael were speaking in Arabic, I could understand them. But like, for example, if I was speaking Arabic, like I, it would be a lot harder to understand each other um, in response to like the conversation. And so just like the different things that uh, come within that region is definitely hard to relay because you don't want to force one certain aspect of the identity because there's so much. um, And you also don't want to be known as like the club to do that just because you want to be welcoming to everyone and not just, um, MENA identifiers, but as well as like non-MENA identifiers, uh, because we do have members that um, don't identify as MENA. But again, it's like, I think this is more of the positive thing that um, I didn't really think about our club until uh, this podcast. But again, that sense of family and that sense of like openness, where although we all may not know everything about like the way that each family does things or the way that each country does things, we all still carry that same sentiment of like being open, being like family um, friendly. And it just makes the community a lot stronger and a lot easier to build those relationships. Yeah, just hearing like even your introductions at the beginning, just hearing what everyone is is doing. Like I know we have like a poli-sci major and a mechanical engineering major. Like you all have your own, you already have so much on your plate but like also with this added pressure of like feeling like you need to educate the SEU community about your culture. Like it's so unfortunate, but I feel like that's kind of in the nature of this type of work that, that we're all committed to. Um, so I wanted to ask like how, because you already, you, you mentioned a little bit about 
um, the trials of and that have come with, I guess, educating yourselves and educating yourselves about the different cultures within Mena itself. So for those who aren't um, Mena identifiers, how can we take some of that, that weight off of your shoulders and how can we proactively as like a greater SCU community get educated about Mena culture and current events happening? I think this is a little bit broad, but also very simple, but it's just as easy as listening. I mean, if someone is mentioning something about a specific thing about the MENA identity, or you're talking to someone of the MENA identity, and you ask a question, or you state something, you know, accidentally incorrectly, and they try to correct you, it's easy to jump to jump the gun and get automatically offended if you're the one who made the mistake. But um, something that I've learned, and I've kind of practically gotten better at, as being even a member of the Mena Club, I also make mistakes. So whenever someone corrects me, I try my best to strive and listen to what it is that they're saying so I don't make that mistake again. That way I can learn and take one step closer to becoming more educated about the entirety of the Mena population. Yeah, just to echo that, um, I think the most simple thing that at least the student body can do is come to our meetings if you can, uh, at least like in person, we'd always kind of have like a spotlight or like a mini, uh, not lesson, but like a mini blurb about like what's going on within the MENA region. And then just by coming, it's like, um, like somebody mentioned earlier, just the simple conversations of how I do things versus how he does things. It's like, it naturally comes out of the conversations, um, which I think I appreciate most because it's in that social setting that I think I learned more about my peers and uh, who come from different countries from the region. Um, I'd also highly encourage just taking courses. Uh, we have wonderful MENA um, identifying professors. Uh, we have Professor Muhammad Kadala, we have Dr. Leah Griffin, we have Professor Farid Senzai. And so they all teach a, a lot about um, the different things and again, different uh, aspects of like the MENA region and the MENA culture. And so I think that seeing and taking those classes is definitely something that has students engaging in the material, um, the language, the people, and the culture. I think you all have done such a wonderful job already at being the voice for this community. And, you know, it's absolutely true of Vanessa saying it, that there are so many other places where people can go to listen and people can go to kind of engage more with um, their desire to learn and their desire to be more open and understanding of different cultures. So switching gears a little bit, um, when we were all talking about potential topics to discuss, a few of you mentioned the MENA checkbox. So for those of the listeners that don't know what this is, could one or more of you guys maybe explain a little bit more what you mean by this and why you feel it's important to have something like this set in place at SCU? Yeah, so the MENA checkbox is like when you're applying for a job or school or anything or even u.s census there's no mena box when they ask you what your race and ethnicity is you always have to put white or something else one thing and then i believe the 20 i don't know if it was the 2020 census or they said it was plans for the next census it says like right in right in the type of white so you type in middle eastern as in specified version of white yeah so oh sorry Vanessa. Yeah, go ahead no no go <laughs> ahead Jackie 
I was just gonna say, yeah, I feel weird too, like putting white when I'm Latinx, but like I guess I, I get it because I am pale, but it is weird to like mark that in like those type of documents. Sorry, Vanessa, go ahead. No, no, you're good. Um, yeah, I guess like it's that whole like, okay, we're white passing, um, but there is no real like checkbox. And so that's at least like a project we've also been working on on campus is for like admitted students to have at least like that checkbox of identifying as MENA, um, just because there is no like percentage of like MENA students on campus or until like very recently. Uh, there's no like MENA group or it was just until like last year where we got MENA, um, MENAX uh, as like part of our unity week or like preview week or unity night um, events. And so it's like this identity has been missing for so long. And that's not just on SEU, but like within the United States as a whole, um, there's just that missing identity of who, like, who are we? And we're not white, essentially, just because we've also had, um, had to face those common misconceptions that were mentioned earlier of like, um, of being called terrorists or um, like being told to go back home or being told to stop speaking in our native languages and start speaking in English just because we're in America. And so a lot of that has definitely been weight that's been used to push down this hope for like a MENA identifying checkbox. And so it's, we're starting small and start hoping that we can um, at least have it uh, be something that's real and be something that future students coming to Santa Clara can have. Yeah, thanks for thanks for explaining that. And you you might think it's like a small accomplishment, but the way I see it, that's a huge step in the right direction. And I think that that um, transitions really well to our next question. Um, that's talking a little bit more about men and represent representation um, in the U.S. as a whole and in the world and in certain roles and occupations. So I just wanted to ask, just because I I would be lying if I said I knew exactly how men and representation has 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 changed over the years, but I wanted to to ask you all: How have you seen um, representation of your culture and your heritage changing over your lifetime? And I wanted to ask: Like, has this been entirely positive? Yeah, let me know if you, I, I'm not sure if I worded that well, but yeah, no, you're good. Um, I don't know if the guys want to answer, but at least like my initial response is most of like the men of representation that has had any spotlight, especially within the United States has definitely been negative. Um, and that is paired with Islamophobic ideas that is highly paired with like how the media represents us, um, especially with film uh, or music, even like in music videos. Like you'll have a lot of these films kind of represent or especially like the political ones. Um, like you'll see a lot of these like American governments and politicians and they'll be like maneuvered or attacked by um, Middle Eastern North African characters or like very brown or dark skin featured uh, characters or especially men with longer beards um, who are like praying or saying something in Arabic. And so it's definitely that perception that is still commonly seen. And it's really sad to think about because even now when I think about it, recent movies and recent music videos haven't changed. Like that perception of like having this men identifying usually 
darker, like brown skinned male is usually the bad guy um, in all of these situations, or at least they're the ones with like the materials or the weaponry for um, providing like these bad guys in the films. And so it's definitely that representation that I wish wasn't so prominent. And I definitely blame like media and movie producers for it. Um, but it's not something that I can change, unfortunately, as like one person. But I definitely think that there is beginning to splurge a lot of documentaries and a lot of different lifestyles and books, especially of like people from the MENA region coming out with their stories and coming out with their videos and their lifestyles, like addressing these misconceptions that we did talk about earlier as well. That's so true, Vanessa. And I guess kind of echoing that as well. One thing I've noticed at least with, uh, at least throughout my lifetime with the MENA identity as a whole is they'll, when I say they, I mean people not of the MENA culture, they'll, they'll take the positive aspects of your culture, like the food we have, like hummus, everybody loves hummus and falafel. But, once you you know once you tell them you're muslim or you're you know you're arab or you're speaking arabic or you know someone's wearing a hijab in public or someone's praying i don't know what it is they'll look at you funny or they'll look at you different so um i feel like it's the individual person's choice or not the individual person but the the, the other community that those who aren't men it's their choice that they subconsciously actively make you know to judge one aspect of a culture but take the good in the other you know i have seen a shift more towards you know that situation being better but nonetheless it, it still uh has a impact and i see it every day even when i uh, go about my daily life i guess the easiest way to create more meta representation is to just i guess diversify anything like media workforces into creating more meta men identifying people however there's no way to know if you're hiring men identifying people because there's no checkbox for them to say they're mena. So it all starts from the top. Yeah, absolutely agree that, you know, it's sometimes can be a fight for representation, but at the end of the day, there are so many stories that need to be told and so many voices that need to be heard that I think if we did have um, more people sitting at the table, uh, you know, to represent more diverse ideas, would be able to have future generations grow up looking at these representations of people that, you know, we might not have been so fortunate to see in our everyday media. Um, so to kind of end this reflection and um, wrap up on a little bit more positive of a note, we wanted to ask you all, what advice do you have for young MENA identifiers who feel like they don't, or they might not currently have a seat at the table. My advice would be don't be ashamed of any aspect like your culture. Like for example, if someone's asking you what, what you're eating, don't feel ashamed or anything. Just, I mean, it'll take time, but yeah, that's what I'd say. Yeah, I can't echo that enough. Um don't be ashamed don't be uh don't be afraid to embrace at least the parts that you grew up with that are yours specifically um just because there's such a beauty that other people see through that um and again like you said learn from that just because it's not just our um, responsibility to teach people about our culture but we also live through that every day 
And so it's just having like those simple human conversations of um, like asking and even just finding someone um, who has the same values as you. They don't even have to be like men identifiers. Um, of course, it does make it a lot easier, but at least like me as a men identifier, a lot of um, a lot of my closest friends are, do identify as Latinx. And Jackie, like as you've been resonating throughout this entire like podcast, it's like most of these um, morals and values that at least I hold or my family holds that have been rooted in our tradition and culture is very similar to people of like different cultures. Um, and one of them being like the Latinx community. And so just find an environment that makes you comfortable and that doesn't, um, like Michael was saying, uh, shame you for doing things the way that you do or feeling the way that you do. Awesome. I think that was a great note to end off. Thank you again so much for having this this dialogue with us. I had a great time listening. Um, and before we go, I just wanted to give the floor to, to you one last time and just plug MENA as, as the CSO and just like, let us know when are your meeting times? Where can we see y'all? What events are coming up? And how can we find you on your social? So yeah, just plug yourselves. <laughs> Yeah, for sure. Um, Mena as an RSO, <laughs> not a CSO. Oh, yeah. Sorry, yeah, you're good. Wow, <laughs> you're I really good, thought I good. got it right. <laughs> <laughs> no worries. Um, but yes, Mena as an RSO, we do meet on Wednesdays, 8 p.m. Pacific time, right, guys? I I'm not in the Pacific like time region, <laughs> so I always have so. to make sure. Okay, thank you. So yes, we do meet 8 p.m. Uh, Pacific time. You can reach out to us um, on our Instagram or our Facebook page at SEU Mena. Uh, you can also feel free to send us an email at um, SUMENA at gmail.com. Yes. Um, and so, yeah, please feel free to uh, stop by one of our meetings or just say hello even on our Instagram. And we always love visitors and old faces. Yeah, of course. Everyone everyone i hope after this podcast people go bug y'all a little bit more because <laughs> this, this podcast is all about but yeah also again everyone just because we are in mena heritage month right now does not mean that the celebration ends this month um please use this, this energy continue the celebration and continue to educate yourselves because obviously that is very much needed um, especially right now. So again, thank you all so much for coming. This was great. Um, I know I've talked a lot, so I'll stop talking now and just say again, thanks so much for coming. Thanks so much for having us. Thank you guys. We really appreciate this. Awesome. Take care. Thank you all. We really appreciate this conversation. Thank you.